and welcome to our podcast, A Bigger Conversation. This is Tom Nyhart with my co-host, BJ Clear. Greetings, Earthlings. Today, we are in Genesis chapter 2, as we set the stage for a bigger conversation about the story of God. We kind of get a mixed bag of different things going on, because the text starts out talking about garden and trees planted in the garden, the tree of knowledge, the tree of life. And in the midst of this conversation about, about the garden... God suddenly decides that it's not good for man to be alone, which is kind of an odd thing because then he goes on and Adam gets to name the animals. So God doesn't even do anything about it in that moment. But what he does say, and um, I'd be kind of curious to know how you and Donna interact together because the text, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. That uh, The Hebrew there, etzer kenigdo, really signifies help that opposes, which is kind of odd. I'm sure you and Donna never have opposing thoughts or ideas or... We never do. Just kidding. We are uh, very different. We view the world through very different lenses. We have had very different upbringings through our lives that have produced a lot of differences that are even almost opposite at times. Maybe not so much spiritually speaking. If we disagreed a lot spiritual realm i don't know how the relationship would have worked out but what made her stand out to me was that spiritually speaking her and i had a lot going on that uh reflected each other's hearts that signified it'd be a good partnership there um but when you talk about the connecto that uh how'd you say it etzer connecto etzer connecto when you look at our relationship and consider the opposite portion where we're opposites are where our our strength because I'm not much of a planner, but she plans and she wants to know everything A to Z before we set out on something. Naturally, I just jump into something. So she kind of holds not- my, holds my rein ins and I encourage, she holds my reins in so that I don't make a mistake and start doing things that I probably shouldn't be doing without thinking first. I'm not shocked by that. Yeah. And I like to push her to, to come up with a, with a plan for us to do something, like go on a trip. Trips are fun. Uh, projects around the house are fun. We butt heads on projects around the house, though. That's when friction starts. So you've ne- um, so there's been plenty of times where having your spouse push against you, or yeah, I think push push against is right, has yeah. been beneficial. Oh, especially um, when it comes to preconceived notions I have of other people. I'm I'm pretty quick to jump to conclusions when I first meet somebody. And Donna was one of the first people I encountered that full-on pushed me back on that to encourage me to give other people a second chance to the point where I have a lot more grace for others now through her pushback on me to take a step back and consider where other people are coming from before I make a character judgment on someone. That's been probably the biggest lesson that I've taken away from our relationship. Yeah, that's really cool. And the, and that's the idea of the whole idea of Etzer Conigdo. If, if you think of, think of a, a two by four and you, if we were to try to stand it up at a 45 degree angle, it's going to just going to fall over. Right. Um, but when you take two of them and lean them against each other, you have this help that opposes, you have this equal but opposite force that um, you, in the end ends up, holding each other up. And so I think that's uh, that's that's just a beautiful idea of what this whole thing that I will make a help 
mate or a helper for him uh, signifies. And I think that gets kind of lost in the translation because there's an, it's kind of breeze over this whole this whole section of the text. It's like we can't wait to get to the garden and sin and, and move on from there. That we, we This just kind of gets totally missed. I feel like a lot of these stories in the beginning of the Bible in these first chapters that we have felt bored understandings of it, especially if you grew up in the church. You spent time in the church basement with some little old lady with the, with the felt board of the creation story, and she's sticking the, the felt birds to it, and she's got that crooked finger, and she's all happy reading you the NIV version of the Bible. Not, there's nothing wrong with the NIV version, but that's what my memory is when I think back on, on felt board creation accounts. Yeah, I do remember those days, and yeah, there's just a lot that just it was it was kind of flat, kind of like the felt that it was done on, um, and that's where uh, that's where the discussion I think is so valuable because somewhere along the way we've managed to take all the Jewishness out of out of the text, and that's where it hurts us. Um, that's where we don't have a good understanding of what's even going on in the text. Just going back to this whole interaction between man and woman, Adam and Eve, we've always made it man is just superior. And there's some subtleties in the text that I think we miss. I shouldn't group everybody in that, that I missed, and I think a lot of people miss. If we jump back into chapter 1, verse 27, just for a second, it says, God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. And it seems odd that that's in chapter 1, and then we don't really hear about Eve being created in chapter 2. And so either Genesis 1.27 and then Genesis 2.21.22 is simply a summary of 1.27, or I wonder if there's another possibility. If we look at chapter 2, verse 24, all of a sudden the narrator steps back, and after kind of giving a detailed account of what's going on, it's kind of like the narrator addresses the audience kind of breaks with the flow of what's going on and simply says, this is why a man leaves behind his father and mother and clings to his wife. And sometimes we'll wonder what this is that the text refers to. And so I think the text tells us why Adam falls head over heels because he immediately sees and understands in Eve that Eve is different and she is special. Why? According to the text, where did she come from? Him, from his side. She's a, she's a part of him. She's a part of him. Quite literally. And not that I want to venture too far into what I would understand of the Jewish rabbis in this text, but they would suggest that they would suggest the possibility that Adam and Eve are once a single person, um, a unified being, if you want to put it that way. God puts Adam to sleep, took his rib from him. And in this action, I think we could say that in a very loose way that God took the feminine part out and made it into a separate being. And I would think that Adam then immediately recognizes the loss, but yet sees in Eve the person that completes the whole. Does that make sense? And if that's the case, then why why the male superiority thing? In the Jewish culture or in... In general, if, if, if man was once a unified being with an Eve was taken out of him then why do so many people think women are less? You get down to cultural issues that are standing around from before we we got to the year of 2021. The advent of the birth control is one that definitely leveled the playing field culturally. Um, the other would be the Industrial Revolution. Um, as, the, as the Industrial Revolution took over and 
society slowly became more industrialized, the need for someone to be around the house to to care for it decreased because you could do it more efficiently, more effectively. So that opened up the door for you to have a dual income home where both partners, especially in, in the in the case of a family, where both people could go to work and it not be a huge problem. But as the industrial society continued to become more ingrained at us and we became more effective in all the work that we do, you had the birth control pill introduced and suddenly women could have much more say in their ability to stay in the workforce because pregnancy became less of a less of a concern. And so that liberated them from having to be at the mercy of whether or not they would get pregnant and be put on the sidelines uh, for health reasons and for caring for a child once it was born. So I think we are in a great position today where we can look at equality through a new lens, where we can shirk off those old cultural norms. And as we, as we grow, as we get past the generations that held those old traditions, then we will see more and more equality between the sexes, especially in representation in the workplace. I'd say that 50 years ago, the workplace for a woman looked a lot different than what it looks like today. And in the grand scheme of history, 50 years isn't very much. You know, for me, I'm 29 years old. 50 years is a long time ago. Well, I think especially as more people, I hope more people dig into the biblical text and realize that way that people have viewed each other, not only racially, but in regards to sex and gender, doesn't always line up with the text. And I would hope that as Christians mature, that they will start making some adjustments in, in the way that they think and the way they way that they treat people. So what else are you pulling out of Genesis chapter 2? One of the things that really drew my attention was my semester that I spent, I don't remember what the class was called, but we studied the, the culture of the ancient Near East outside of the Jewish world. And we looked at the Epic of Gilgamesh, which I think we touched on um, last episode. I don't remember. We spent so much time talking about things. I don't. I can't recall everything that we've touched on. But in in that story, the Epic of Gilgamesh, there's a there's a character named Enkidu. Enkidu, and Enkidu is one of Gil becomes Gilgamesh's friend. But at the beginning of of the epic, Enkidu is this 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 wild man that lives am, lives amongst the 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 animals of, of the wilderness living in harmony not qu- not quite in a in a uh, snow white or or cinderella type of way where the birds are helping him helping him clean stuff but he is he is one with the wilderness and the wilderness respects him he respects it and he's a part of it uh, but he's characterized as this, as this wild wild man and gilgamesh sees the power that is in Enkidu, and he wants to like become friends with it or whatever. So he wants to subdue and culturalize Enkidu and make him a part of the team or whatever. Okay. So what he does is he gets this this prostitute, right? And he, he takes this prostitute out to go meet Enkidu in the forest. And Enkidu mates has intercourse with this prostitute and his eyes become open. And in his eyes becoming open, he, he realizes his his wildness and the wilderness that he lives in uh, now now rejects him. 
because he uh, slept with this woman. So he he goes with Gilgamesh into the city, and they start having these these great adventures together. When you consider the stories, Enkidu isn't unlike Adam in the biblical accounts that we're reading. Both represent a masculine human figure unbound by the by cultural norms that we have now. Both have relationships with the natural world before they have with a woman. Both have their eyes open to the fact of their primitive nature by, by participating in relationships. The biblical narrative of events is more symbolic and isn't as forthright with sexual undertones as Enkidu's story is, but it carries those same implications of eyes being opening and the realization of the less than. But the difference is, in Enkidu's case, it's um, a woman is brought to him that that isn't that isn't isn't whole that that isn't a perfect vessel in any way. For Adam, the woman that's offered to him is is pure, is perfect, unblemished by by culture. And in their in their growth to, and in their growth together, they begin to to work with one another. Whereas in Enkidu's case, it was it was a it was a one night stand. <laughs> he 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 uh, mated with the prostitute, and and that was the uh, the end of that relationship. And then in his uh, uh, new civilized eyes, he goes off has these grand adventures with with Gilgamesh. A one-night stand versus uh, marriage and children. Oh, yeah. Big difference. Well, I wonder, well, maybe wonder is not the right word. That still, that also exemplifies, I think, a big difference in how God views his creation versus the uh, human creations we find in the Epic of Gilgamesh. Because the very nature of humankind before all the stuff that happens in the garden is we get the image of Adam and Eve together being one, being united, and having a friendship and a closeness with God. Now, granted, that kind of starts to chase into chapter 3 a little bit of Genesis, but just thinking through that little bit of uh, context on, on Gilgamesh and, and thinking about how God created us to live in harmony and harmony and unity with each other, definitely a direct, definitely a direct contrast. When you, when you look at, there's a lot of stories throughout these opening chapters of Genesis that Direct that bear parallels to the surrounding culture of the Hebrew people, but have characteristics that are direct in contrast. One being the initial creation narrative. In the Enuma Elish, you have the ultimate creation happening through a conflict between Tiamat and Apsu. Marduk, not Apsu. Tiamat and Marduk. And creation is is created when 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 Marduk and, and Apsu have this uh this this grand fight and Marduk the ends up being the creator god because he in this in this conflict he kills Tiamat who is the the female serpent creature he he blows his wind into her and she explodes and all all creation is is created through her exploded pieces but when you read the Hebrew creation account the, the the closest parallel you can get to that is is the tohu vavohu the the uh, chaotic void and the parallel is the chaotic void against the spirit of god hovering over the water you have that 
you have that chaos and that and that order and in the one text which would be like Tiamat and Marduk the chaos and the order but God is different is different than Marduk creation story in the Enuma Elish because he doesn't use destruction and, and, and violence to create. He creates through balancing that chaos in that order and bringing all these things that are good up out of it. That's one of the, the parallels and contrasts that I see as we're walking through this. Well, even uh, you mentioned what God was that blew his breath into... Oh, Marduk into Tiamat. Marduk into Tiamat. And the opening line of Genesis, opening lines that the uh, Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Uh, the Hebrew, ruach, is breath. Yes. So there's definitely a parallel. And, I mean, even the Egyptian culture had their own version of their God creating and essentially filling the void themselves. And that's what is so significant about the story of God and our place in it, is while it may come off of similar narratives, our God is different. I mean, just like we see with the account of Adam and Eve versus the accounts in the Gilgamesh, uh, see the same thing in the creation story where God makes humankind in his own image. You're not going to find any other creation account from any other legends and mythology where God makes creation in his own image, let alone that God says we're very good, that he looks around and says, ah, that's my creation. That's pretty awesome. And it's time to tell a different narrative. It's time to it's time to relay the story of God and relay it in a way that creates a bigger conversation. We didn't dive too much in, into the story itself, but when when God creates woman, he takes from the side of man. He opens up the, puts him into a deep sleep, opens up his side and takes from him and creates the feminine not to try to pull jesus out of out of the old testament but i really do think there's an important parallel there unpack that for me a little bit (laughs) when you read the story of jesus and we're getting to the the big crescendo just before his uh his resurrection he's he's hanging on the cross he says it is finished and he goes into to his uh, temporary death after he says it is finished to make sure that he's dead. The Roman, the Roman soldiers, they stab him with a spear in his side, yes, and his do. blood pours out. And a few days later, he wakes up from his rest. And when he wakes up from his rest, we get the advent of the church, who's described as the bride of Christ. Christ is also described as the last Adam, or, the, or some yes. translations as the second Adam. Even in the New Testament, we're seeing parallels to this creation account through Christ's death. Mm-hmm and the pulling out of the church through the Spirit, from his side even, the, the, uh, the marriage that we see with Adam and right. Eve between Christ and his church. And I'm sure that will come up again later. That's a great pull. I had, it's one I hadn't thought of for a while. The idea of covenant, that's going to come back a lot uh, about every covenant between God and anyone, you know, especially in the Old Testament, has the ring of marriage. So it's going to be a very common theme that's going to come back. One of the significant things about the Genesis story that will set us up for future conversations, I find it interesting that after God says it's not good for man to be alone, 
Adam ends up essentially naming the animal. And it seems like an odd placement because they're talking about the garden. Adam needs a mate. Now we go into the animals who, in Genesis 1, I think it's in Genesis 1, I should go back and look, but they've already been um, created to, um, to mate. So on some level, it's almost as if God wanted Adam to see and take account of all, all of the other living creatures to know that there is not a suitable mate for him. And then out of that comes Adam being put to sleep and Eve being taken out of him from him. And so all that kind of sets up, all that's going to kind of set up Genesis chapter 3. Because at this moment, Adam and Eve are kind of the top of the food chain, in a sense. Um, Adam and Eve have been given dominion over all the other animals and uh, things on the earth. And then you have have the whole thing as chapter 2 winds down of this whole thing about nakedness. And that, that, that verse is going to, those words are going to come back. Um, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So there's going to be a little bit in an upcoming podcast or two. Yeah. I think when we get into chapter three and get into the fall, start considering those things, the, the nakedness comes into play more. But where we're at now, I think their their nakedness is, I don't know that naivety is the right word, but there's there's a vulnerability there. They're not aware that they're naked. And they're not feeling any shame. So that shows that there's a vulnerability between them where there's there's a trust and there's there's nothing muddying that trust because they can be with each other and not feel the shame. They can be who they are. Right. They can be comfortable. And in that um, is an acceptance of this is who I am, this is how God made me. An acceptance of the goodness. Yes. The very goodness at this point. Very goodness. A couple, just a couple other side notes to note, uh, at least for me. Let me get down to the right verse here, because this will set the stage as well for more discussion on the garden. And um, this is how the text reads. This is verse 8, chapter 2. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, where he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to switch over to the NIV. The NIV says, The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So that's going to, that's going to be significant later on that's all i have out of chapter two i think for this episode that's all i have i think there's something to the four rivers and something worthy of discussing there and i'm working on some ideas for that all right i guess that's a wrap catch us on the flip side bye folks bye